Happy Brexit Day, Gordon. Fuck off. Friday, March 29th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News contributing editor and Flemish accent casualty. With me today is Gordon Derrick, my fellow Dutch News contributing editor with a license to Bremen. Our third regular podcast host, Paul Peters, isn't with us today because he's busy collecting taxi fares from Brexit refugees. Yes, because it is today Brexit Day. Except it isn't, of course. Except it isn't. Except no. maybe it is, because it's a little unclear. Well, no one's quite sure what's going to happen. It's uh, yeah, the, the, At midnight. Yeah, this Brexit uh, long-running drama that has kept on tenterhooks right to the last day. Even now, I think uh, uh, Theresa May is still trying to get the deal through the British Parliament. Yeah, there's going to yeah. be another vote sometime yeah. they're, 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 d- between 9.30 and 2 30 they're debating it today or their time not our time our listeners will be hearing this after maybe there'll be some sort of yeah brexit decision by then or not or who not. knows or it'll just rumble on honestly we don't know but yeah. you can remain right gordon yes i've had offic- i've had my official letter this yeah. week from the en day i now have an en day number oh, I'm I'm officially, you're in the system i'm a customer of the en day now very nice yes, welcome and, uh, to the club yeah <laughs> and, uh, and that means that fed copper house can revoke my right to remain in this country at, at any, any time. moment yes. so you better stop comparing him to a bond villain <laughs> <laughs> but he is, yeah, but he, but he is a Bond villain. He's probably got a little red button under his desk. Uh, okay. If anybody was going to have one, it would be Harper House, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, and of course, uh, Paul's not with us, uh, so we suspect that he's um, that he's he's cashing in by um, p- picking up people from Calais. I could see Paul doing that. And uh, tell us about your Flemish accent woes. I so. don't want to talk about it. I'm so traumatized. A magazine in the U.S. that I do occasionally some freelance work for needed um, someone to fact check some interviews that they had had done for a story Mm. but it turned out that the writer was they said dutch and that the interviewee was also dutch so the editor the lady i don't remember exactly what her job title was emails me and says hey can you like listen to these interviews and do this like fact checking Mm -hmm. for us and that you know she says that they're all in dutch and i said yeah sure fine like send them over or whatever and i open up the first file and it is not dutch it is two belgian people speaking (laughs) to each other and it was like the worst four hours of my life trying to get (laughs) trying to decipher what the yeah yeah because the accent is is bad um (laughs) and a struggle but the they're they use different vocabulary so i spent a lot of time just like googling around to try to figure out like what this word was that people were saying and it was it was interesting i've got a terrible confession to make i actually quite like belgian accents my dutch instructor is actually belgian (laughs) but this did not seem to be helping they're quite sexy i don't know once you tune into them no i've I've been for weekends in belgium but they do use different words it's really weird Whose turn is it to read the Ophef of the Week? Because Paul's not here. Is I it yours? Mine. I think it's mine. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yours. So tell yeah. us about the Ophef of the Week, which the is a great Ophef. It's a great Ophef. It's yes. such a good Ophef. Yeah, and it's about. Um, do you the... think it's gonna? Do you think it's gonna be on our list of Ophefs of the year? I think it's a very strong. Yeah, it's a strong. I think it's the best this year Ophef so far. So far. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and as a bonus, it doesn't feature our <laughs> Ophef mascot at all, who we'll yeah. mention later in the podcast. Yeah. But it's in fact about the arch rivalry between the two largest cities in the Netherlands, Rotterdam and Amsterdam, which has flared up again this week. Not to do with Ajax and Feyenoord for a change, but because uh, there was a big dispute about who invented the cup salon. Do you like a cap salon, Gordon? I have to say, I've never had cap salon. Gordon! Okay, now (laughs) Ferdinand House is going to revoke the residency. Yeah. Uh, But a few got very, very heated when an Amsterdam snack bar described the cap salon on their menu as a, quote, real Amsterdam speciality. Oh, those Amsterdammers and their hubris. Yeah. Uh, And this claim cheesed off the Rotterdammers. (laughs) See what happened there. 
uh, and especially a guy called Natalian Gomez, who is the owner of a kebab house El Aviva, who is in fact the true inventor of Capsalon, as it says on Wikipedia, so it must be true. Um, and that's a dish that combines, for anyone who's never had it, like me, combines fries, kebab, melted cheese, salad, and garlic sauce in a characteristic aluminium takeaway tray. It's so delicious. Yeah. And when one is drunk and really and it's late as well. at night. Yeah, oh. exactly. It's your late night. It's so, so good. It's, it's what you eat late at night when you're drunk. It's like kebabs yeah. in Britain. or. Uh, but um, to get back to Natalia Gomez, uh, he told Alchemin Dachblatt he thinks it was unbelievable that the Amsterdam snack bar claimed that Capsalon was in fact an Amsterdam speciality and called its owner a Zila boat <laughs> <laughs> and for our non-dutch speaking listeners gordon what is a zila pot? well it sort of means uh, a sort of well uh, literally a kind of a sad paw yeah it? <laughs> it's, it's hard to translate, it's hard to translate. But yeah it's a, it, it sounds better in dutch as yeah. many as, as many insults do yeah he added quote it's not a disputed fact capsalon comes from rotterdam in fact the rotterdam museum has already officially proclaimed capsalon to be rotterdam heritage uh, i mean it is Rotterdam hair. It is it possibly is. the best thing that's ever come out of Rotterdam. I think almost certainly the best thing yeah. that's come out of Rotterdam. Uh, nonetheless, he encourages everyone to try the Amsterdam Capsalon. Quote, that way you'll know ours is the best. And the other thing we should uh, tell our listeners, Molly, is why it's called Capsalon. Well, Capsalon is also the name for uh, a hairdresser. Um, and as the story goes, there were a guy or guys from the hairdresser, the hair salon, not really a salon, but like a barber shop mm-hmm. um, next to the El Aviva um, that used to come in and they ordered like this particular dish. They they talked him into basically serving them some, you know, sort of dinner on top of the chips mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, they started calling it the Capsalon as it was nicknamed for the, the barber shop next door. This week, we'll bring you some more elections news, tell you why you need to be mindful of where you step, and update you on the fate of a Picasso. In our discussion, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of EU copyright law. Thierry Baudet's Forum for Democracy has been confirmed as the overall winner in the provincial elections after the official results were declared on Monday. Forum is the biggest party in three provincial assemblies, North Holland, South Holland and Flevoland, while the Christian Democrats will lead the negotiations in four regions. The coalition talks will be far from straightforward, as at least four parties will be needed to form the provincial administrations. The final results showed that Denk scraped a seat in Flevoland, while the FFD sneaked past the FFD for the final seat in South Holland, and they will have ten deputies. And there was an arrest this week for someone who was chanting death threats at Cherry Baudet, right? Yeah, this is a 21-year-old woman from Nijmegen who was filmed during the anti-racism demonstration in Amsterdam at the weekend, um, and she was with a group of people kind of clad in black, uh, marching behind a banner, and she was singing, if you want to gun down Thierry, just say bang. Oh boy. Which was a bit infantile. Yeah. Um, the chant was condemned by uh, Mark Rutte, uh, who said democracy was a precious possession that everyone needed to work together to protect, and politicians across the spectrum largely echoed that sentiment. The woman said she regrets her actions and she's been released while police make further inquiries. But before we start feeling too bad for uh, Baudet, what is this uh, McCarthyism hotline thing? The FAD's think tank, if that's not a contradiction in terms, has set up a website where students at schools and universities can report, quote, indoctrination. So asking children to shop their teachers, basically. I when did inform when, on their teachers. When's the last time we um in yeah. recent history that that who's, happened? Who's done that? Yes, yeah, so we should think about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Baudet has long claimed that the education sector is infested with undesirable left wingers and now wants to compile an inventory. The FA Day says it's not doing anything sinister; just quote compiling a list. Hmm. 
Uh, where does that lead? I don't know. Maybe I think I feel like I read a, a book about something next? about this. Yeah. yeah, compiling lists that never ends badly, does it? Incidentally, the idea has been copied more or less directly from far-right fellow travellers, the AfD in Germany. One teacher in Arnhem, Tommy Dirksen, made headlines when he reported himself to the hotline. He said he wanted to save his students the bother. He also wrote an open letter to the party where he said, quote, I will continue to call out and state when your party's members and officials engage in activities that are racist, dehumanizing, sexist, history denying, contrary to the facts or hostile to democracy. So those are Tommy Dirksen's words. So basically whenever Cherry Bonet opens his mouth. Basically. OK. Uh, the move also prompted a counter movement on Twitter with the hashtag Hachilira, where people posted supportive messages about their favorite school teacher. That's so nice. It's kind of a nice yeah, spin off. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that, that actually started. Kill him with on, kindness. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's, that had started on Valentine's Day, I think. Um, oh. Lord of kicked it off. Yeah, um, and, uh, and it's revived uh, as a response to this move by Forum for Democracy. I'd just like to say at this point that Dutch News is not calling Forum for Democracy a fascist party. We're just compiling a list of ways that it resembles certain political movements that uh, were on the rise in the 1930s, purely for research purposes. No reason to get upset. No. We did um, compile a list of Cherry Boudet quotes, and then I spent the week fielding absurd messages from people who are accusing us of, I don't know, all sorts of terrible and untoward things. Yeah. Um, merely because we included his quotes about what he said about women and uh, architecture and democracy and owls. In some positive news, the Dutch budget surplus reached 11 billion euros in 2018, equivalent to 1.5% of gross domestic product. That's according to the National Statistics Office, CBS. This is almost double the estimate presented by the finance ministry last September when the government unveiled its spending plans for 2019 and beyond. Public revenue rose by 4.7%, or 337 billion euros. That's mainly due to higher taxes and premiums, which takes the tax and social security burden to 38.4% of GDP. That's a 23-year high. Public spending rose 4.1%, boosted by the cost of labor and care, but expenditures on welfare and unemployment benefits fell. Hmm. So does this have anything to do with the Netherlands being a tax haven? Not really, but members of the European Parliament have voted to include the Netherlands, Ireland, Luxembourg, Malta, and Cyprus on the official EU tax haven blacklist. I like that there's an official EU yeah, tax haven yeah, blacklist. Yeah, of EU countries. Yeah. yeah. The official EU blacklist of places considered to facilitate tax evasion now comprises 15 countries. However, the motion proposed by Dutch Labour mm. MEP Paul Tang will not have any effect on the listing because member states have, have to unanimously approve every Inclusion. Yeah, and of course those five and, countries are all EU member states. And none of them so. will vote to, <laughs> to, include, to yeah. include themselves. None are going to vote for something that uh, lists them as uh, tax havens and uh, places for whitewashing money. Yeah, shockingly. Yeah. The Netherlands and Australia have held their first talks with Russia about the shooting down of flight MH17. The two countries officially held Russia responsible for the destruction of the aircraft last May in the face of strong protestations from Moscow. Investigators have concluded that a book missile which brought down the plane in July 2014 was fired from a launch that belonged to a Russian brigade and had been transported from a base in Kursk. 298 people, most of them Dutch, died when the plane came down over disputed territory in Ukraine on its way from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur. Foreign Minister Steph Bloch announced the latest move on a visit to Australia this week. He said he couldn't go into details of the process because of confidentiality, but said, quote, we remain committed to achieving truth, justice, 
and the American way. No, I was going to say, and the American way. <laughs> we are committed to achieving truth, justice, and accountability. Yeah. What's the latest Russian input into this? The latest kind of uh, conspiracy theory that's been thrown out is based on something that was said by a guy who's a defector from the Ukrainian Secret Service called Vasil Prozorov, who has blamed two senior Ukrainian officials for masterminding the shooting. He said that it was suspicious because Ukraine's president had responded very promptly to the shooting down and said this was suggested he had prior knowledge of the incident and the Ukrainian government all knew about it in advance. Uh, some pretty obvious basic problems with this, which, chiefly, which is that by all accounts, MH17 was a mistake. Yeah. The, the missile wasn't aimed at the plane, yeah. it hit it, and that would suggest that the president had prior approval of every single missile that was fired into the skies, which doesn't really make any sense. Would really make him a bit of a micromanager. Yeah, that seems a bit far-fetched. It's worth saying as well that Ukraine's government has said that Prozorov was fired from the security service for professional incompetence and alcohol abuse. I would like to be fired for professional incompetence and alcohol abuse. Yeah, was, well, I think the two kind of go hand you in hand. You think if I got they? really drunk and started tweeting a whole bunch of terrible things on the Dutch News Twitter account that I would get fired for uh, both of those things? I think if you got really drunk and started writing about Brexit, it might actually improve Brexit. Yeah, that's 100% <laughs> true. Quit trampling the tulips. Flower farmers in the Netherlands are asking tourists to avoid posing for selfies in the middle of their fields to avoid damaging the plants. Thanks to an initiative from the cultivator VAM Pennings, the Netherlands' so-called bulb district will soon feature banners, signs, barriers, and volunteers encouraging tourists to enjoy the spring flowers from a distance. We have absolutely no trouble with tourists, and we'd like as many as possible to enjoy it, but sometimes it goes too far, says Dave Pennings, who works at the firm. On busy days, and especially at the weekends, a lot of people come and they stand near the fields. If just a few walk in, all the rest will follow. That's the danger. One person doesn't matter so much, but masses of people do. I have to say, it can only enhance the Dutchness of the experience if there is a big sign saying Verboden next yeah. to the field. Because I... everywhere you go in this country, there are signs saying Verboden. Verboda. Yeah. yeah. But the Amsterdam Marketing Agency had a different take on this, didn't they? Well, on Tuesday, I Amsterdam sent out a tweet encouraging tourists to take some time for yourself and get lost in fields brimming with millions of blossoming flowers in every color of the rainbow. Penning said that this tweet was uh, not quite in tune with the farmer's concerns. We wouldn't be very happy about that, of course, he said. That's going in the wrong direction, and it's not the ideal. That's the danger of social media. Yeah. That's the only danger. That the people, only danger of social media. People are going to frolic in yeah. tulip fields. It encourages people to damage uh, flower heads. Yeah. yeah, yeah, real problem. Yeah, that's the worst thing that social media has ever It's done. the worst thing that's ever happened to me on Twitter, for sure. Yeah. Football is a simple game. 22 men chase a ball for 90 minutes, and in the end, the Germans win. Gary Lineker's rueful response to England's World Cup defeat in 1990 loomed large in Amsterdam on Sunday as Oranje went down 3-2 to Germany. They looked dead and buried in the first half, but in the second, the Dutch came back from 2-0 down through Matthijs de Ligt and Memphis Depay and looked the more likely winners until Nico Schultz slid in the winner in the 89th minute in classic German style. Manager Ronald Koeman, who famously once wiped his ass on a German shirt, admitted after the game he considered... Wait, did he really? Yeah, he did. Uh, after the 1988 win in the European Championships, he, he swapped shirts with Olaf Thun um, and then immediately mimicked uh, wiping his ass with the, wow. with the German shirt. It was a, seen as a very, very provocative gesture at okay. the time. But he, he admitted after the game he considered bringing on a defender for the last five minutes, but decided to keep pressing for the win. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, he said. So where does that leave them in the uh, qualifying group? I like how you wrote this question to make me sound like I know <laughs> literally anything about yeah, football. And you, and you actually carried it off quite well. I did, it? thank you very much. They won their first match against Belarus 4-0, so they're in third place now behind Germany and Northern Ireland, who've won their first two games. The next match is in Germany on September the 6th, but it looks like the real test is going to be the two fixtures against Northern Ireland. And on Sunday's showing, I think the Dutch can be reasonably confident of finishing in the top two. 
And there was some news from Zandvoort this week, was there not, Gordon? Yeah, there was good news for Grand Prix fans, bad news for anyone else who's trying to get to Zandvoort by car. Yeah. Uh, the local council voted to spend €4 million Euros on bringing Formula One racing back to the Dutch circuit for the first time since 1985. Zandvoort is almost impossible to get to because it's in the dunes and there's one access road. Yeah. The money will be raised by increasing the tourist tax to 50 cents a night, and part of it will be spent on improving access to the circuit in the dunes because it gets horribly congested in summer. The racetrack's owners, who include Prince Bern, will announce by the end of the month if they have a funding package to stage the race for three years from 2021. Well, I guess we will keep our listeners updated on the uh, status of Zandvoort. And especially if you live anywhere in Zandvoort, I think it uh, might be a good idea to book a holiday for that weekend. Yeah, or move. Yeah. Oh yeah, or, or just rent your house out. Yeah, you're, that's you're also true. In art news, a Picasso stolen from the yacht of Saudi businessman Abdul Mohassan Abdulmik al-Sheikh in 1999, and which has been used as collateral by criminals, has been tracked down by Dutch stolen art detective Arthur Brand. Busta de Femme, a portrait of Picasso's lover Dora Maar, painted just a year after Guernica in 1938, was a personal favorite of the artist who didn't sign it because it was never meant to be sold. It ended up at the Pace Gallery in New York after his death, where the Sheikh bought it for $4 million. It's now estimated to be worth $25 million. And he had it on board a yacht. He had it on board a yacht, yeah. as you do. As you do. Maybe um, he really liked his yacht, Gordon, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But how did uh, Arthur Brandt uh, track this down? That's a good story as well. And this is a great story. <laughs> Acting on a tip-off from one of his informers from the criminal circuit, Braun came into contact with a, quote, 500, that's what it's called, <laughs> businessman, who told him that he had the painting in his possession as a result of a deal with, quote, certain people with an accompanying, quote, cock and bull story, but had since, quote, gotten rid of it. Yeah. Braun says the people he spoke to said the painting had been used as collateral in the Dutch criminal circuit since 2002. Contacts later told Braun the painting was hanging on the wall of another businessman who wanted it gone. Mm -hmm. They daren't go to the police. How could they explain the situation? They are afraid they may be accused of theft, and then they come to me, said Braun. Yeah, and I think the other detail here that's relevant is that they agreed to hand it over once they were satisfied that the case was over time, yeah. the time limit, so yeah. they, that there was no risk yeah, of Yeah, the statute of limitations yeah, was over, so right. they handed it over. Uh, there's also some less highbrow Art, there there is. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this is your story, Gordon. You do love this. Yeah. A Dutch horror film that flopped at the cinema on its first release has become an unexpected hit in China. Proy, or Prey in English, directed by famous Dutch director Dick Maas, <laughs> was seen by just 30,000 moviegoers in the Netherlands, but racked up 1.1 million visits in its first weekend days in China, taking in 4.4 million euros. The theme features an aggressive lion that goes on a rampage in Amsterdam. <laughs> Sounds like a great film. Dick Moss directed my favourite Dutch movie yes, of yes, all time. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. You know? I have seen Sint, and yeah. it is fantastic. <laughs> the premise of that being that Sinterklaas uh, is yes. an evil psychopath who murders everyone. He's kind of a demon, isn't he? It's he, fantastic. Yeah. You know, every year in which Sinterklaas uh, falls on a full moon, he uh, turns off and murders everybody. Exactly. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, he also directed Flodder, which is a very famous 80s yeah. uh, comedy, no. which people oh, of a certain age, my kind of age, yes. uh, have all seen. But I haven't. Of course not. And you yeah. haven't had a capsule on. Well, no. I guess you know what you're doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Maybe. We'll be discussing EU copyright law after this word from our sponsors. Stay up to date with the news about the Netherlands with Dutch News. Dutch News is the country's leading English-language news website, bringing you the latest in news, politics, sports and more every day. We cover all of the news about the Netherlands in English for an international audience. You can find Dutch News online at dutchnews.nl or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at dutchnewsnl. 
After years of debate and negotiations, politicians have passed sweeping changes following a final vote in the European Parliament. The European Union Directive on Copyright in the Digital Single Market, to use its full name, requires the likes of YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to take more responsibility for copyrighted material being shared illegally on their platforms. The changes have proved controversial, with critics being opposed to two specific parts of the law, Article 11 and Article 13. So what are these changes and how do they affect us? So first of all, we should explain what is the European Union Directive on Copyright in the Digital Single Market, that uh, catchy title they've given it. The European Union Directive on Copyright Copyright in the digital single market is designed to limit how copyrighted content is shared on online platforms. EU directives are a form of legislation that set an objective for member states to achieve. So yeah. then they have to write it into their domestic yeah, laws. They have to write it into their domestic yeah. laws. We'll talk a little bit about that yeah. later. Um, the most controversial component, Article 13, requires online platforms to filter or remove copyrighted materials from their websites. Yeah, and uh, this is to do with uh, things like uh, YouTube, Twitter, where people are sharing, uploading videos um, with, and, and lots of these things have copyrighted material in them. Exactly. It refers to services that primarily exist to give the public access to, quote, protected works or other protected subject matter uploaded by its users. So it's likely to cover things like you mentioned, YouTube, Daily Motion, which is a video sharing mm-hmm. service, SoundCloud, which is what we use for the podcast. Um, but there's also a long list of exemptions, including non-profit online encyclopedias. So Wikipedia. Probably Wikipedia. Yeah. Open source software development platforms, cloud storage services, online marketplaces and communication services. Article 13 says content sharing services must license copyright protected material from rights holders. If that's not possible and material is posted on the service, the company may be held liable unless it can demonstrate that it made best efforts to get permission from the copyright holder. It made best efforts to ensure the material specified by the rights holders was not made available and or it acted quickly to remove infringing material. This is all like very vague. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. What uh, is very technical? What is yeah? What is best? You know, best efforts. What does it mean to be active? What do you have to do in practice? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think that's where a lot of the concern arises, which we'll get to later. But let's first of all also uh, mention say a bit more about the other um, section that stirred up controversy, which is Article Eleven. Yeah. So Article Eleven states that search engines and news aggregate platforms should pay to use links from news websites. So really, no one is sure how this works. Um, How much of an article has to be shared before a platform has to pay the publisher? The directive states that platform. Platforms uh, won't have to pay if they're sharing mere hyperlinks, which are accompanied by individual words. That's a quote from the directive. Um, But since most links are accompanied by more than a couple of words, it seems like many platforms and news aggregators would fall foul of this rule. Yeah. So, for example, Google News, which obviously aggregates loads and loads of news content, will will from now on have to license, get permission and pay people um uh, companies that actually provide the news yes uh, so, such as actually dutch news so right if our, if our news is picked up by google news right. then really they should be um they should be paying for it in future dutch news also uses a news aggregator um mm. should this be passed at least the way that it is worded now by the yeah. eu directive it means that we would have to stop using our best of the web service which highlights interesting stories about the netherlands from other sources um, so, but this also would give news publishers more rights in negotiating with online platforms. So anybody who posts a hyperlink or a very short extract could do so freely. But if you want to post a longer extract, you have to pay for it. So it's a little unclear, like mm. from our perspective, I think like how this article 11, whether or not it's good or bad. Um, so we could not use probably, or we probably could not afford to pay for all of these individual places where we, no. like, so, so, you know, the New York Times writes an article, we include that, like, article yeah. oftentimes on our website. I mean, our readers seem to like them. 
Um, but maybe it's better for us because Google News and stuff would have to pay us to be able to include us in their news. On the other hand, if they don't want to negotiate individual deals with all these news organizations, then Google News doesn't pick us up, and then like people don't yeah. find our stories. So I don't know. We're a little unclear whether or not we like this. Uh, yeah, I think in the theory, this is what a lot of this comes down to. I think a lot of the concern is that this will like, eventually, this gives more powers to the big players yeah. because you get what's basically like a, a Getty Images for right. uh, for news and verbal content. You know, so like Getty Images is a very big um, uh, you know, um, uh, online um, uh, images provider, which right. almost everybody uses, um, and, and they charge an awful lot of money yeah. uh, to use their images. They're very, very aggressively protective, yeah. and will sue, you know, the, uh, you know, sue the backside off you if you if you use their pictures without consent. Right. And you know, this seems to be a similar thing. So, so, uh, you know, yeah. So, so yeah. In, in theory, it seems good for a, a small site like Dutch News that we will get paid by Google News. But yeah. in practice, what will it mean? How much will Google News pay, or will right. they just ignore us and just go? Uh, use a smaller uh, group of larger news providers and also you know if we want to use something by New York Times which is a very much bigger organization than we are then they might say well after demand a, you know an, an absolute fortune right. or an unaffordable amount from our point of view yeah. at which point we just have to stop using their content right so yeah it, it, it sort of plays yeah in, in in theory it seems to offer more protection to small providers but in practice it seems yeah yeah in practice it's not clear that it's going to work out who's going to benefit right and i think a lot of the people who are against this move uh say that uh you know it's going to make the big companies um the the the, the amazons and the uh of this world more powerful right. and the small players are going to just drop out because yeah. they'll be so restricted in what they can use right uh, and that comes down to another thing which has been talked about a lot in the in the context of um, this directive, which is about memes, because yes. they've been concerned this is going to be like a meme ban. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the reason why this 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 directive has been dubbed the meme ban is that no one is really sure whether or not memes, which are often based on copyrighted images, will fall afoul of these laws. The EU Parliament has said that memes and GIFs are specifically excluded from the directive, but others have argued that filters won't be able to distinguish between these yeah. two things, so they're going to end up getting caught in the crossfire. So, I mean, it's already... We ran into this issue ourselves when we wanted to maybe produce some, like, photoshopped images um, that we use for the podcast and mm -hmm. maybe put them onto some kind of material and, like, sell them. Um, and we very quickly realized that, like, it was extremely unclear whether or not we took existing copyrighted images for which we did not own the copyright for, but manipulated them for like a parody purpose. Yeah. Um, whether or not that that was going to fall afoul of copyright law, um, yeah. which is in the Netherlands is, is, is can be quite strict. Mm -hmm. um, so we decided to not pursue this because we were afraid of, of, you know, getting into yeah, trouble. Repercussions, yeah. um, so this kinds of stuff. So like all of these like memes, and that also means that like, if you're sharing this sort of content, like yeah. how, I mean, Facebook is not going to be able to, on an individual basis, be able to make sure that every photo thing that you're sharing, you have the copyright for. So what yeah. are they going to do? Are they just going to ban the sharing of memes and this kinds of stuff outright? Mm -hmm. Like, will we no longer, you know, like WhatsApp has this like GIF function where you can like send GIFs. So all mm -hmm. of this kinds of stuff is going to go away. Like this will just not be able to exist anymore. Nobody's like really sure. Basically. No one knows. Yeah. And the, the, again, the, actually the directive uh, as it stands as the European Parliament passed it yesterday, it actually specifically mentions memes as an exclusion. But again, yeah. in practice, as you say, a lot of the problem with this is that it, it sort of transfers responsibility to a platform like YouTube. And the mm -hmm. moment what happens is if you post something on YouTube and it's got copyright material, and then there is a complaint from the copyright holder. At that point, YouTube will step in and usually take it down and give you a strike. 
but this now gives them more responsibility at the actual upload stage to police everything that comes in. Right. So the fear is that they will now just stop people. This stuff will never get posted right. in the first place. Yeah. It will just get it will just get blocked. And because YouTube doesn't have doesn't want to spend more money and resources in actually going through every single video that's uploaded right. and deciding whether or not it is a breach, they'll just put in some kind of automatic system where if they detect a copyrighted image, it will be blocked, whether or not. And the fact whether it's a meme or a parody won't be considered because right. the technology doesn't exist to right. distinguish parody images from just Yeah, and how would you even design theft. technology exactly. to do that? I mean, at least in the foreseeable future. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of the concern is. That, you know, in, in, in practice, however you know, um, sensible the aims of this um, legislation are, in practice it doesn't work. It's, it, doesn't, it hasn't considered really how, it wor- no, how the technology would, would apply it in practice. Yeah. Um, what do the Dutch think about it as well? Because it's been a bit of opeth yeah. about it. It's interesting. So Dutch digital rights lobby group Bits of Freedom said on Tuesday that new copyright legislation um, will, quote, have a huge negative impact on the range and quality of public discourse and entrenching the existing tech monopolies. It condemned the law as a, quote, disgrace and said, quote, the European Parliament has further normalized a situation in which our public discourse is helped captive by a handful of North American multinationals, end quote. Damn those Americans. Damn those Americans. They're ruining everything. Yeah. Dutch MEP Marietje Schaka, who has campaigned against the new law, said the legislation will lead to a lot of work for lawyers specializing in intellectual property. I think that's almost certainly going to happen. Yeah. But the response in the Netherlands has mainly been confined to the tech sector, unlike in Germany, where there have been like street protests against the directive. There were protests in 45 cities earlier this month, with 40,000 people turning out in Munich. German Wikipedia was switched off for a day as part of this uh, protest. Wikipedia is one of the strongest opponents, even though it's explicitly excluded in the directive. Yeah, no, but they're still worried about the impact, because again, it's so hard to actually monitor whether or not an image has been uh, copyrighted, it is properly copyrighted or not. Of course, yeah. Wikipedia relies an awful lot on uh, open source images, but then right. they are reliant on the person who uploads the images via open source um, being truthful when they say they haven't stolen it. Right. And so um, how do you, yeah, and are you going to punish Wikipedia for this? Like, how yeah. exactly do you go through this? Yeah, it's exactly. really complicated. Yeah. So who is for and against it? So broadly speaking, it's basically like old world creative industries, record labels, film studios, the Society of Authors. Yes, of which I'm a member. Are, are against it <clears throat> because it represents content producers at all levels, while new online companies like Google and YouTube are against it because it increases their like liability. Um, so that's like big industry kind of like on both yeah. sides. Independent artists and producers exist uh, almost entirely on the internet, feel like being caught up in the crossfire. I would put Dutch News like firmly in this camp. Um, So we're like also kind of against, I mean, it's a little unclear. I don't know that Dutch News has like an official policy, but I know there's been like a lot of discussion about like how this is going to kind of like impact us. Um, politicians who are in favor of more open internet access, such as Desis Assestag, um, but the Pirate Party, they're also like against the directive. They think it's going to lead to a more restrictive online environment. Yeah, and of course, we're saying in this context that uh, the Netherlands is one of the first countries to legislate um, to um, to establish a net neutrality. Yeah, I think the the the, the, the feeling is that this uh, sort of directive, the way this is phrased, that's going to make net neutrality more difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I see there because thing. there's more. You know, um, it, it strengthens the the hand. 
of people who uh, who claim ownership right. of, of content. Yeah. So this has been passed by the European Parliament. Yeah. It's now a European directive. Uh, but when is it actually going to become law in the European states? Well, now it's up to EU member states to enact Article 13 and the Copyright Directive. Um, each country within the EU will be able to interpret the law and how it should be implemented in its own ways. Members have two years to pass domestic law in lines with this directive. Yeah, so it won't, uh, it won't happen in Britain, of course, because Britain will have left the European nope. Union. Goodbye. So, beginning the Britain's past is ridiculous. Pawn block law. I don't think you put, put too much faith in the UK being any more. No, <laughs> no. Come up with any, come I don't think anyone is is yeah. uh, putting a lot of faith in the UK period these days, uh, no. regardless of their porn directive opinions. Yeah. So, Gordon, what do we um, what do we think about this? When I was doing the research for this, I would read an article that was against it, and I would be like, oh yeah, all those arguments make sense. And then I would read an article that was for it, and I'd be like, oh yeah, all those arguments make sense. So like. What are your kind of like thoughts? I think it's really, really complicated. I haven't dived into it in detail. I don't know as much about this as people like Bits of Freedom and Marita Skarka. I freely admit that. I can, the impression I get is that uh, the, the aims are kind of um, laudable in the sense that they're trying to establish ownership and um, uh, uh, pr- provide for proper address in the online environment where, you know, where, where, where copyrighted material has been stolen. But it's just too much of a blunt instrument, I think. It does put too much power in the hands of the big publishers because they're the ones who will really be able to use the cloud. And that's a whole point with the law. You, know, you, you can have a law that protects people, but who actually is going to be able to, in a position to actually enforce it? And I think it's basically the big media companies will be able to bring the court cases to, you know, to, to shut down people who are using their content, right. even if they're using it in the right spirit of the law. Um, the difficulty is, you know, again, as we said, is how a website like YouTube um, could actually comply with the law without sh- shutting down users' channels. Um, and YouTubers, are, you know, YouTubers, people who, you know, who spend their days uh, uploading videos and sharing them, say that it's already too, the current rules are already too heavy-handed um, and that YouTube takes down videos the minute there's any kind of, kind of claim on copyright infringement so that if you've got the radio on in the background, uh, your vlog will be taken down. Um, but now that the sites are directly responsible for what they host, uh, the fear is that they'll be more, even more proactive right. and even more you know, um, draconian. Um, the proponents say that the original directive in its original form has been watered down a lot um, to protect smaller players and people who post memes or GIFs uh, with no thought of commercial game. We're just going to have to see if that balance really works out in practice. But I think in general, and of course, um, the best hope, I think, is that the law is going to get tweaked further over the next two years so it's a more kind of refined, sophisticated instrument that yeah. kind of reflects you know, how um, material is used online because that's a big shift, really. I mean, in some sense, the whole concept of copyright doesn't really fit all that well with the internet because it's been traditionally about protecting that material physical artwork, your book or your painting, you know, rather than just someone taking an image and modifying it or parodying yeah. it or sharing it. And, and again, you know, something like Twitter, where you can just take somebody else's work, share it, still with credit and attribution, saying this is this person's work, but nevertheless putting it on your own platform. How yeah. do you quantify how much of that is a copyright violation? Yeah. It's really difficult to say. So maybe the whole notion of copyright needs a bit of an overhaul as well. And it's worth saying, of course, as well, this is fed into the Brexit debate because yeah. people use this to bash the EU and say it's proof that the EU is a terrible, draconian organisation that's out of touch uh, with the people. And I've got, I've got to say, the EU has, has been pretty tone deaf yeah, in terms they of have... listening to people and actually taking uh, the, the legitimate concerns on board of people who actually work in the tech sector and mm. understand how this is going to affect their work in practice yeah yeah i agree with you it does seem like the eu has not done a great job sort of like selling why this is important and why we're doing this now and how you're going to protect 
small content creators. I mean, I think that like people who create content um, like YouTubers and stuff like that are very legitimately concerned about like where their livelihood is going to go if it becomes so untenable to try to make sure that you're not violating any sort of like copyright um, yeah, rules and stuff like that. It sort of reminds me of this, like, there's kind of like an old joke, uh, in the U.S. that, like, if you, you know, drive to the store and buy a gallon of milk and come back, that you can, uh, you'll break ten laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being that, like, there's all these, like, antiquated, old, tiny, like, basically insignificant laws that nobody really enforces unless, like, the cops are, like, looking to do something, which is yeah. why, you know, you, a lot of, you, you hear about, like, a lot of, um... Uh, police violence incidents or like complaints about like let's say Black Lives Matter make against like the police they all they start mm. with things like jaywalking or selling like single cigarettes which are like things that are illegal but are like not really like just sort of yeah. are like not like that widely enforced mm. um, and so I wonder if that's sort of like what's gonna happen with this basically that like you know it's mostly fine unless like the government or someone really wants to go after yeah. you know Cherry Baudet for having like opinions that the coalition government doesn't like and like then they start targeting his I don't know videos that he's putting out because the radio is on in the background yeah. and that like that kind of stuff makes me very concerned about like this legislation yeah and also from the commercial side if you, if you have a company like you know someone like disney who yeah. have been historically you know very very um uh, aggressive aggressive in terms of chasing down anybody yeah. who makes any kind of um uh, copyright violation or if you look at you know something like the, the happy birthday to you yeah the happy uh, birthday thing someone claimed copyright on that as now uh, literally monitors everything yeah all, all kind it's of been overturned they find that they're, they're copyrighted yeah they're copyrighted if anyone yeah, doesn't know it go and look it up online uh, yeah there's a whole it's documentary a, about it it's, it's, a, a, it's a really good example of yeah. how the shortcomings of copyright law even in the old media world yeah. in the new media world you know something like that is it, it just seems completely yeah. uh, inadequate yeah. um for you know how people handle uh, modern media but yeah, i think and the other thing is the, the eu has you know has, has has done good work in this uh, this area in in other senses yeah. for example with a privacy directive yeah. which everybody you know thought was generally a good thing you mm-hmm. contrast it to the way uh, online privacy has been handled in the us under yeah. the trump administration oh, so the european union has yeah. is much more forward and in touch and switched on with how people behave online and what protection they need in this i think it's really fallen short but i think it's in, you have to hope that the people who came up with the privacy law are going to uh, can somehow um, get a bit more of a, uh, a handle on, 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 on. You hope the people who, who are involved in the privacy law can get a bit more influence and uh, uh, somehow find a way to modify this or get involved and, and make this a much more you know suitable um, instrument for dealing with um, uh, ownership and image rights online. Yeah. Well, I think we will uh, keep the listeners updated as this progresses forward because now, you know, the Netherlands will take on uh, trying to write domestic legislation that sort of implements this directive. So I think we'll see kind of what happens uh, going forward. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. Hopefully those links don't uh, violate Article 11. You can get in touch with us by email at podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. Also, you can now back us on Patreon and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. In fact, we'll even say something funny and possibly nice about you. Maybe. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl uh, if you would like to donate. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and are we thanking Paul this week? No, we're not. No, no. And no thanks to Paul. I'm Molly Quell. We'll be back next week.